Dive In Movie Cast, a film podcast where two unqualified critics give their opinions and try and differentiate themselves from every other podcast out there. My name is Hayden. And I'm Wesley. And welcome to the Dune Podcast. Dune. Dune, Dune, Dune. It's been talked about for a while. It's been out for a while, and we finally got around to chatting about it. Um, such a anticipated movie for so long. Oh yeah, the hype was so built up for this one before we seen it. Yeah, uh, so it's really cool to be talk- finally talking about it. Um, there's lots to talk about, but before we get into that, we just want to talk about some movie news that has recently uh, recently happened. So mm. I feel we have to address the elephant in the room off the bat. Yeah, especially for you as a as a theater kid yourself, mm-hmm. as an actor yourself. Um, sad news in the musical theater world: uh, Stephen Sondheim, composer and lyricist of West Side Story, Company. Sweeney Todd, Into the Woods, a whole bunch of other great uh, musicals, has passed away. Um, I don't have his exact age, but I, I believe, believe he was in his early 90s. I believe he was 91. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is super sad for someone as, a, uh, for as a, a theater person. I literally, the other day, did a project on Into the Woods. Uh, I have loved Stephen Sondheim for a long time. When I was doing uh, my singing, the singing part of my uh, acting degree... Uh, the song that I picked for my final performance was, in fact, Being Alive from Company. Uh, I absolutely love that song. All-time banger. It's so good. Uh, and when when I had heard the news, I I had a, I looked back through my phone, and there was actually, I had a video um, from back when Marriage Story came out. I got super obsessed with the song. Yeah. Uh, There's a video of me playing it on piano. And so I wanted, I wanted to post it to my Instagram story, but it was too big, and it just... Uh, but I like I listened to it and I was like, oh, it's so good. And he is an amazing composer, and that is such a travesty. Yeah, it's just really sad. I mean, it's a huge loss for uh, for musical theater, but also just for music. I mean, that that dude had a way of writing and composing songs unlike anybody else who was capable of for musicals. Yeah, and so it's it's a huge loss. Uh, the way he the way he told uh, stories through songs, mm-hmm. um, and the way he just like created these amazing musical uh medleys that um into the woods which i it's the most recent work of his that i've been uh really researching the music for that is fairly uh it's fairly written around like the um i don't know how much you know about into the woods not a whole lot i am familiar with it but i don't know much about it it's about a bunch of fairy tale characters and you essentially the first half of the movie is you going through their their plot lines, essentially, so like Cinderella, a little bit of Riding Hood, Jack and the Beanstalk, um, going through like the plot that you know, and then the second half is what happens after that. Is there really a happily ever after? Like, is there a happy ending? Oh, and and it shows you that there isn't. That's cool. Um, but the fact that life goes on, right? Um, and so his music in that is really well done. Uh, the my some of my favorite stuff from it is a lot of the stuff that the witch there's like a evil witch she's got some crazy like really well composed um just solo songs and the the iconic song of into the woods the main song of the show is also just wonderfully done and is so catchy um so it is it is very upsetting to hear the loss of this amazing composer because his work has been like a paramount uh, to Broadway and to theater. So and just like his ability to write stuff that has just completely different types of music and tones of yeah, music, right? Like exactly. West Side Story and Sweeney Todd have nothing in common at yeah. all, both musically and story wise. Mm-hmm. So like that's just a true talent. And uh yeah, man. Big loss. R.I.P. Stephen Sondheim. Yeah, very upsetting. He was just a big... He was a part of Tick, Tick, Boom. Yeah, he, we yeah we just watched Tick, Tick, Boom. We'll be doing an episode on that. Um, but yeah, he was a part of the Tick, Tick, Boom story, and that is all true. Like, Stephen Sondheim helped Jonathan Larson uh, and kind of helped him get on his feet a bit uh, and was a big supporter of him, so... What a guy. Yeah. What a loss. R.I.P. Mm-hmm. Um, on a completely different note... We we I want to talk really quickly about the Pam and Tommy trailer. You yeah. actually brought up that you wanted to talk about this. Yes, I did. This is the Seth Rogen, uh, Nick Offerman, Lily James, and Sebastian Stan TV series. I thought it was going to be a movie, mm-hmm. uh, TV series focusing on the leaked sex tape of Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee. Yeah, and the whole scandal that kind of erupts around that. 
No, it looks crazy. Like I, I didn't even know the movie, uh, the show was coming out. I knew nothing about it, and I watched the trailer, and I was blown away. Like, I, I most excited to see Nick Offerman uh, do this role because I've really only ever seen him as Ron from Parks and Rec. So yeah. I love it when uh, actors that I really like get roles like this where it's something completely different. Um, so I'm really excited for that, but also I'd love to see Sebastian Stan uh, playing a different role other than Bucky. Uh, we were talking about this the other night. You were saying how like, like it's great to see him as Bucky, but I also love to see him as other things too. Yeah. Um. So I think he'll do really good in this, and it just it looks like such a fun ride. It looks so cool to get this different look at the seedy underbelly of Hollywood. Um and what these characters go through to get this sex tape and what it means for for it to be leaked. So and I mean like the the Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee sex tape is one of the biggest scandals in Hollywood. Yeah. Um. Never watched it personally. What you haven't? I've studied it. You've studied it no. relentlessly. You're like no. watching every frame and comparing it to the trailer. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I just remember reading about this, and I am I'm a Motley Crue fan, so I remember like mm-hmm. looking into all this and hearing about this story, and it's. It's a wild story that is perfect for TV because they're going to get all that drama. Yeah. And it's just there's there's even twists and turns in how the story goes, like just how they acquire the sex tape and everything like that. Uh, I think it's going to be wild. Also, mm-hmm. the makeup department for the show just deserves so many awards. Like, yeah, Lily James is unrecognizable here. This is the girl from Baby Driver. Yeah, no, it's crazy. She she does not look anything like she actually looks. She looks like Pamela Anderson. And even with Sebastian Stan, too, like, he, I, I saw him and I was like, he does not look like the toned, uh, rugged Bucky that I know. Like, he looks totally different. And so, I mean, and same with Nick Offerman. He's got like super long hair or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he has like a hippie vibe. He's too. like a perm going on. So it's it's kind of interesting. I, I'm really excited for it. I think it'll be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one is less cool. The next news we're going to get yes. into really quick. Oh, yes. I'm so excited to talk about this. <laughs> uh, Mario Bros. producer says Chris Pratt will not be doing Italian voice for Mario. Says, don't, not to fear, the voice he came up with for Mario is quote unquote phenomenal. Mamma Mia, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? You are telling me that one of the most iconic video game characters of all time, with his classic phrases of, like, Mamma Mia, it's a me, you're telling me we're not going to get an Italian, like, uh, actor to do that? Right. We're not going to make Chris Pratt learn an Italian accent? I'm sorry, this character is Italian. That's like. Yes. That's like, what if I was like, yo, um, so we have this amazing uh, character. His name is uh, Rambo, um, but I know he's American. We're going to do a remake and make him French. Yeah, loses a little bit of its impact. It loses, and also, like, it's classically known as an Italian character. Like, are you kidding me? Right. So the fact that they just want, really what it sounds to me like is it's like, uh, we want big name Chris Pratt, and we don't care that the classic nationality of this character is Italian. We just need big name Chris Pratt, and uh, and, and that's all we want. And it's like, come on, are you I, serious? I hate this news. Yeah, this is ridiculous. Because to me, this is like we are willing to throw away all the iconography of our character, everything that people know about Mario and how he sounds and how people have grown up with this character – Get rid of that. We have Chris Pratt voicing him, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I'm very, I'm now terrified for this movie. I mean, I was not excited for it before this. Yeah, but the fact that they're like the voice that he came up with. Excuse me. What does that mean? What What does that mean? Is he just gonna do a high pitch voice? Are you telling me that they they were gonna like they didn't do this with the Sonic movie? Sonic sounds like Sonic. What the What the fuck? What if you got like I don't know Joe DiMaggio to be Sonic? Like that just doesn't work. So what the fuck? I I think this is just tremendously dumb. All signs towards this movie are pointing towards a disaster. Yeah. Uh, they They went on to elaborate elaborate in the interview saying. Charlie Day is Italian, and he's playing Luigi, so that's, that's kind of our way of paying it forward. And I'm like, 
Shut the fuck up. They're brothers. <laughs> yeah, it's like what one the? one brother's Italian and the other one's just not now. Damn, I really hate it when my brother is Italian yeah, I hate, and I'm not. I hate when my brother busts out Spanish out of the womb. He just Yeah, that's crazy. how it happened. One of them came out like he's just normal, <laughs> everyday American, and the other one is Italian. That's how it works. It's, uh, I don't know, man. Chris Pratt can't keep getting away with this shit. I've, we've talked about this Mario movie like three times on the pod now. No, I hate how it's taking. We ha- we'll have to watch it. You know? We have to talk about it now because it's become such a recurring thing that we can fall back on for news. That and Garfield. I guess we're gonna have to watch Garfield too. It. it ugh. <laughs> wow, that's not gonna be a fun fun time. <sighs> I, I think this movie is just endlessly easy to talk about because every time it pops up in the news it's a meme it's it's a meme and it's making headlines it's like oh the mario movie is confirmed that you know seth rogan will be voicing donkey kong and diddy kong it's just like (sighs) weird shit oh god i i don't have any hopes for this um i like mario i'm not like some diehard mario fan either i don't want to like sit here and act like i am no i just think it's weird to change a character that we all know and we've all grown up with when they could have just you know Cast an Italian dude. Yeah, like you. It's there not that are hard. so many actors out there that could play that role, and you're just like, big money, big name, Chris Pratt. Okay, I guess. Honestly, they could have had a bunch of like B-list actors that I had never heard of, and only had Jack Black as Bowser, and that's all they need. Right. Like it's Mario. It's they have so many huge names already. Like, why do they need to feel the need to be like Chris Pratt and no Italian accent? Like, come on. Come I, on. I just feel like this franchise is so iconic. Yeah. They don't need to rely on big names. No. It's Mario. If a kid wants Mario, to go see a Mario movie, he's going to go see it. Mario is the big name. Right. That so is like, the big name of this. I just don't see anyone being like, oh, Mario movie? Pass. Oh, Chris Pratt's in it? Sure. Yeah, no. It's just not happening. No. No. Uh, so that's about that. That's yeah. going to be, you know, it'll be a thing. Something. Next piece of news, uh, Jonah Hill has been confirmed to play Jerry Garcia in Martin Scorsese's upcoming Grateful Dead biopic. Mm. I think this sounds great. Martin Scorsese's at a point in his career where he's like, you know what? I like the Grateful Dead. I'm going to make a movie about him. <laughs> I like this band. Why not? Yeah. Like, he's, he doesn't need to prove anything. He's, he's Marty. Mm. And so he can, if he wants to make a movie at, at this age, he's like 85 or something. If he wants to tell oh. a story about a band that he likes and he wants to get Jonah Hill to be in it. All the power to you. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I have. That's all I've really heard of it. I haven't uh, really looked up on the news of it, so I, I'm down for it. Sounds cool. Like I love anything Martin Scorsese makes. Do you honestly, like the Grateful so. Dead? I'm not a huge Grateful Dead fan, solely because I never really listened to them uh, as a child. Uh, but I'm not a huge Grateful Dead fan. But I, I mean, I'm sure that I'm sure it'll be good. They've got good songs. I mean, they're not like one of my like favorite bands from that time period either. But mm-hmm. Friend of the Devil, Casey Jones, Touch of Grey, some some good songs by them. Yeah. Um, and I, I just feel like this will be a cool glimpse into that time period, and in particular, that lifestyle. Grateful mm-hmm. Dead was, you know, that kind of, al- alongside with Pink Floyd, like the originators of like rock, psychedelic rock and like yeah. stoner rock. So I think it'll be cool to see see Jonah Hill getting that in that place and Martin Scorsese do a movie like that. Yeah. Um, last piece of news for the day. We're going to talk about Chloe Zhao's first look at her Dracula film, mm. which shows an image of a Nosferatu-esque vampire riding on horseback. She has described her take on Dracula as a sci-fi western horror movie. This sounds really interesting, and I'm fully for it because the story of Dracula is really old. It's been played out. like Everyone knows it. So a new twist on like Dracula, Nosferatu, all that stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm up for it. I mean, it sounds... It sounds wild. Bonkers. (laughs) Sci-fi western horror movie. Like, that's a little crazy. I mean, I know that all the sci-fi really does come from just the Dracula storyline. Maybe other things, I don't know. Uh, But it's really interesting because I've been taking a um, uh, class called uh, Sci-Fi in Early Modern Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been reading a lot of these old books, such as like Gulliver's Travels. I, I'm currently reading Frankenstein, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Nice. I've been listening to an audiobook for that. Um, Very so good. So all that stuff is like really interesting, and uh, I'm I'm sure. I mean, it's Chloe Zhao. I like I like stuff that Chloe Zhao makes. So mm-hmm. who knows? We'll see. All we have is a picture so far. Right. I would encourage you to go look at that picture on her Instagram. It's not you know it's not showing you a lot, but it yeah. is a cool picture. 
the vampire looks exactly like Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a bizarre thing. It's a really weird world that we live in where Chloe Zhao won Best Picture at the Oscar for Nomadland. Then she made a Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. Then she made a sci-fi Western horror movie. I'm for it. I'm, I'm with for it. it. I yeah. love the career path. Uh, I've been showing this to people like my parents, and they were like, why is Dracula a cowboy? I don't know. Why not? Why not, right? We've yeah. done we've done that same story of Dracula and the castle, and we know Dracula. Everyone has heard that story. Mm-hmm. We don't need to do the same thing over and over. In fact, I would much prefer to see a cowboy Dracula at this point in my yeah. life. We're living in a day and age where... Um, a actor can play an iconic character and not do an Italian accent. So yeah. why Anything can we? Can why can't we get Cowboy Nosferatu? <laughs> I'm with it. Um, is he gonna like wear like hats to like not burn in the sun? Like what's going on there? How? Uh, I assume so. He'll be all wrapped up in everything and draped up in the fit. Yeah, I don't know how uh, lighting works for that one, but hey, we'll like, see. At least it'll be shot with Chloe Zhao's signature natural lighting. I think it will be very cool, though, because I'm sure we'll get a lot of, like, with her with her style of filmmaking where it's a lot of natural lighting, I'm sure we'll get a lot of cool, like, nighttime torchlit scenes. Yes. Or, like, moonlit you know, forest fights, things like that. Who knows what's actually going to come from it, but we'll see. I love, I, I just love to see stuff like this. I'm always down for something different that is switching up something familiar. Yeah. Um. Like I've said, we've heard this story in the same way so many times. Give me something new. Yeah. I, even if it's not good, mm-hmm. I would like to see Chloe Zhao try something out. Exactly. If she tries out multiple different things before she's like, you know what? I'm just going to make Nomadland 2. Mm-hmm. Fine. Hey, go for it. Do your thing. Go yeah. on that journey. Uh, do you want to get into Dune now? I don't really have any other news. There's nothing too uh, big. Really quickly before we do get into Dune. Yes. I right. talked about this last uh, week on the podcast. Uh, about the Cowboy Bebop remake, because I had only watched the first episode. I'm now on episode 9. I almost finished it. Uh, And I do just want to say, originally I watched the first episode and I was like, I clearly see how people don't like this. It doesn't look that great, yada yada. After watching 9 episodes, or 8 episodes, uh, I, I have slightly changed my opinion. I think it is a fun romp through space with some, uh, fantastic fight scenes the fight choreography in this is really good i actually heard that it feels very stiff and boring compared to the anime i understand why people would feel that way what i would counter argue with is that as much as it does feel stiff compared to the anime the anime had a bit more fluidity to it where it, it, it it had um with that kind of 2D animation style, I find that uh, you do you can get away with like uh, cutting to like quick punches and things like that. When it comes to live action stuff, I find you can't get away with that kind of stuff as much. And so I think to have that kind of 2D style, like boom, 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 you know, punching effect to it, they did slow down some of the fight choreography. Like there are very much moments where it's like hit, react hit react you know and i don't hate it um it's an interesting choice i i think that it is fun at times there are some times where it's not that great um but i think as far as fight choreography of spike spiegel goes like his character um he's a very amazing fighter uh as and like as far as that fight style goes i think it's very fitting for the character uh he uses a lot of impromptu weapons and uh, things like that, and it's a lot of hand-to-hand combat, which is always fun to see. So um, I think it is very cool. Yes, I, I do agree that it can feel blocky at some times, but um, I think there is a charm to it. Uh, and there's also, I find, a charm to the um, interactions of the three characters. Like, we get... It, there's a bit more of a relationship or uh, friendliness or family kind of feel to it all. Uh, compared to the anime, the anime is very much like these are our three characters and they get in wacky situations, but we don't get a lot of like really deep character connections or things like that. In this one, it, it very much feels like the it, it's not just a team, but it's like a friend group or almost like a family kind of thing. Right. Um, so I, I do I do enjoy that. Um, that being said, the anime is still very much better. Do check out the anime, but. I uh, I'll finish I'll finish watching all the episodes, um, but I think my rating did go up slightly just from watching a couple more episodes. 
I will say though, there are some interesting choices, and it's definitely not for everyone. So yeah, but it's growing on you. It is growing on me. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what they do at the end. Um, but who knows? I I personally think in the end, Takawa Bebop is very cool. It leaves a lot of cliffhangers, and this one seems like it's trying to tie up the loose ends a bit more. So we'll see if it does it well or not. Yeah, if it successfully tries to do its own thing with that ending, or if it kind of botches it. Yeah, so we'll see. Who knows? But Nice. Yeah, I did just want to say that about it because I watched, I binged a bunch of episodes. Is that all you've been watching the last like week is mainly just the Cowboy Bebop? Mainly Cowboy Bebop. Um, I was for a while watching Seinfeld. I kind of fell off watching Seinfeld, but... Uh, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of all I've been watching. But um, we also did watch. Uh, this is one more thing I want to bring up before we get into Dune. We also did watch um, the some of the footage from the Beatles documentary that came out. Yes, and I do just want to mention I'm not a huge fan of the Beatles. I don't have like a I don't know like every single thing about them. Their songs amazing. Are they not? Are they an amazing band? Yes, of course. They're iconic. Um, but I did just want to mention that the restoration of the film is insanely amazing. Insane. Like, it looks like it was shot now. Um, it's so well done, so kudos to that restoration. If you're a huge Beatles fan, definitely check it out, and if you're not, I still recommend checking it out, because I'm not a huge Beatles fan, and I was invested. Yeah. I was was like, wow, this looks so interesting, because it's very much just, like, casual filming of their life, and so... It's a, it's a specific album that they're working on. I don't even mm-hmm. think this was a big album that people really loved, but I think what's cool about it is you kind of get a look into not just the tension, but the camaraderie that they have at this point in their career. Yeah. Like, they've come around to being a fully functioning band, and, like, they have this process, but they're kind of at each other's throats a little bit more than they have been in the past. Uh-huh. Um, I think the footage looks amazing. It's like you said. Peter Jackson uh, did all of this did an insane job restoring it crazy it looks the footage just looks remarkable Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna watch this whole thing over time because they're it's what is it eight hours yeah it's eight hours three parts like two and a half or three hours each insane um i'm gonna commit to it because i think it is really cool Mm -hmm. if you're a beatles fan this is pretty much the definitive beatles project yeah and if if you're not it's still a pretty cool um music documentary that takes you to a very specific time period I, i liked it I also really liked, before we talk to you, and I do just mm-hmm. want to talk about this really quickly, I really liked 8-Bit Christmas. Oh, yeah, you watched this. Uh, I don't want to talk about it too much. I just watched this the other day. It's a new Christmas movie starring Neil Patrick Harris. We saw the trailer for this, and I was like, this looks bad. Yeah. This looks really cringy. Mm-hmm. Uh, watched the movie and found myself very delighted at it, actually. Hmm. It's essentially a remake of A Christmas Story. Everyone knows the classic Christmas oh, story. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, oh. It takes that whole premise of a kid wants a Christmas present, and it's like that kind of... There's not a big plot or anything. It's just this kid's attempt to get this present throughout mm-hmm. Christmas. But it's the whole setup and like the narration, everything from Christmas Story. Isn't it a Super Nintendo that he wants? Yeah. Yeah. And it's set in the 80s instead, and he wants a Super Nintendo instead of the BB gun. Mm-hmm. And it's all this adventures that him and his friends go on to try and get it. And, and uh, I thought this was going to be really bad, and I was shocked because it has a lot of heart. It's genuinely funny. Like, it's probably the most fun I've had watching a Christmas movie with my family in in the last couple of years. Wow. It, it just feels like a a classic throwback Christmas movie that you would put on with your family mm-hmm. in, like, the best sense. It's funny. It's heartfelt. Um, and it's just an effective Christmas movie all around. I, I just wanted to mention that because if anybody's looking to watch a good Christmas movie with their family as we start the holiday season, 8-Bit Christmas is a surprisingly good Christmas movie that I hope more people talk about this season. Yeah. Neil I'll, Patrick Harris kills it. He's, I'll have to check it out then. He's just the narrator, but he's a good narrator. He's mm-hmm. funny. Yeah, it's worth a watch. I, I like that one. And on that note... Into Dune. Let's talk Dune. This is the movie that was prophesized to save cinemas. It's, yeah. It was The hype was built up so much for this movie. People were like, this is the movie that everyone's going to get back into theaters for. And it actually did a pretty good job with that. People mm-hmm. did show up and see this one in theaters. Uh, what are your general thoughts of Dune off the bat before we talk a deeper, just spoiler-free, what did you think? Right off the bat, I do want to just read um, the review done by Keanu Reeves for this movie. I don't know if you heard about this. This is how Keanu Reeves uh, wrote his review. I'll just read it to you right now. Awesome. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That is his entire review. It is one word. I just saw it when I was looking <laughs> up stuff about the movie. 
Um, no, I, I really did like Dune. I agree with Keanu. It is awesome. Um, it is, uh, as many of you have probably heard, it is part one of two movies. Um, and it's just a lot, it's a lot of exposition. Um, but also it just is a very cool universe and the world building of this is amazing. The characters are great. Like we've got some amazing actors here, uh, star studded cast. So off the top, like my just general opinions of it, I did enjoy this. It is very cool. I love a good, um, sci-fi ish, like futuristic worlds kind of story, I love when we have universes built in that. And I also just love, like, um, the the way this movie is filmed. Like, Denis Villeneuve does an amazing job with this movie. I really loved all, like, the um, like the composition of it and the uh, color grading, which I'll talk about later in more detail. Um, but, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this movie. And the story, even though it is a lot of exposition, um, kind of setting up for the se- part two, it was very intriguing. Like, I was on the edge of my seat. I was entertained the entire time. So I really do like this uh, movie, and I'm I'm super excited for part two. Me too. I think you're right. Keanu said it best. Awesome. It's just yeah. the simplest way to describe it. Uh, this movie is, is just epic. It mm-hmm. demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible, and you can say that about so many movies, but this is one where it really does apply. Yeah. I could not imagine watching this at home on my television. No, neither could I. I could not. We watched it in IMAX, and so worth it. Yeah, like, oh my so God. So worth it. The score was like rumbling my entire body. It was mm-hmm. it was insane. <laughs> Hit the chant. Yeah, I was hitting you with that, that Dune music. <laughs> Uh, visually, this movie is just a pure, pure masterpiece. Though, like people yeah. can say whatever they want about it, story-wise or anything else, you can get into all that. But this movie is—it just looks magnificent. It's mm-hmm. a seamless blending of sci-fi and practical effects, like truly the best CGI I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, you can't even tell when you're looking at a real thing or a fi- or like a CGI thing, mm-hmm. and that's just insane. It the way he shoots this movie. And the way this movie looks is just, I couldn't take my eyes off it. Yeah, it, it really is a spectacle. And even though it's not filled with, like, bright poppy colors or insane cool, um, a bunch of insane, insane cool explosions or anything, it's still just, like, visually stunning. Yeah. Um, I, one thing I will mention, like, because you were talking about how you can't even tell when it's CGI or not. There's one scene, and this is not a spoiler or anything, there's literally one scene where uh, Timothy Chalamet's character, Paul, is walking, and behind him is this weird circular, like, floating, glowy light source. Oh, yes. The way that it shoots light onto Paul, it, like, rotates around him. Like, this is all CGI. This is all, like, they did this with computers, made the light hit his face. It looks so real. Yeah. Like, it looks like that is actually something that they had on set for him to use. So, just... Like you were saying, the CGI of this movie is amazing. Like, they really did a good job with this, and it just looks so awesome. I also found the story for this movie to just be really encapsulating. Like, Mm -hmm. I was, like, I was in it, and even though, like you said, it's a lot of setup. Like, most of this movie is setup for the second movie. Oh, yeah. But I still found it to be, like, set up in a way where it's not, like, boring, and it's not, like, putting me to sleep, but, like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's set in a world that I genuinely want to explore more of. Yeah. And so even when characters are just talking about random shit that I don't know what they're talking about, I'm intrigued by the history of this world and, and everything else going on in this world. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. The the uh, the world ha- that has been built within the first one, um, one of the things that the first one does really well is set up this entire world uh, and show us everything that we need to know about the world that we are playing in right now. Um, and... It's it's really well done world building. Like it, it tells you everything you need to know. And yes, at times it does feel a little bit lengthy with its world building, but it's all very useful and I think that will help it a lot in the long run of the second one when they don't have to do as much world building because everything's already established. Oh yeah, the second movie can just get right into it. Yeah. Uh but like I already want to get the audiobook for this and just like listen to it in my car on the way to mm-hmm. work or like on my way home from work because I just want to spend more time in this world. Yeah. And I want to be more familiar with these characters, and I don't want to have to wait two years. So if I have to read the book to get more Dune, I will. 
Yes. Uh, preface before we really get into this, neither of us have read the book. Um, so we we don't know the inner workings of everything and uh, the differences between the book and the movie. We went into this solely because we just want to see the movie. Um, so uh, sorry anyone who's read the book and is like, oh, this happened in the book and they didn't talk about it and didn't happen in the movie. Sorry, I don't get that much free time on my hands. <laughs> I know. I do I do want to read more, but I just I never pick up a book. My best way of reading is audiobooks. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's like the way I'll do it. Yeah. Uh, but I am familiar with Frank Herbert's novel in the sense of like I my grandfather really likes it and so I've oh, really? heard I've heard him talk about it and it's a huge series like there's like a lot of Dune books and I believe Denis is only trying to adapt the first book right now yeah and with this story mm-hmm. so like the fact that he's going to do the two Dune movies and there's so many other directions about where it could go just says a lot about how big this world is yeah exactly. Because uh, honestly, the story that they set up, it, it makes you question whether or not they can do it all in two movies. And it doesn't seem like, if you're saying that there's a bunch of more books, it doesn't seem like they are going to fully finish Paul's storyline in two movies. But hey, who knows? Yeah, I'm just wondering how long Denis is now going to be invested in this in this world. Like, are we going to yeah. get any other Denis Villeneuve movies, or is it just Dune for the near future? Who knows? Um do you want to get into more specifics? We can talk a little bit of spoilers and stuff. Yeah, so just to get into slightly more specific, we can first start off by talking about the cast. Um, this movie is full of amazing, uh, amazing actors and actresses. We've got Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa, Josh Brolin. Um, there's more. I just don't have them written down. Javier Bardem, Stellan Skarsgård, Dave Bautista, David Dasmalchian. Bro, it just goes on and on. Insane. Like, so many huge names in this movie. And they all play these interesting characters that are within the world, whether they're super important or just small side characters or even set up for the second movie. <coughs> One character in specific, Zendaya. Yeah, and Dave Batista. And Dave Batista. Um, even if it's just little things like that, they still knock it out of the park. Like, I thought all the characters in this were really cool, and I, I really did, did enjoy them, even if they were in it for very little. Yeah, Zendaya is about to win Best Leading Actress for her yeah. performance in, a, in this movie. Who knew that you could do such a crazy and amazing, impactful performance in 15 minutes? <laughs> more like 10 seconds. Yeah, more like 10 seconds. <laughs> She's mainly just like a music video character, and then she just like slowly turns around and looks at the camera a whole bunch. Yeah, which is super weird because uh, she was in so much of the promotional material, and then none of the movie. I know. <laughs> but hey, whatever. Um, but yeah, just like... We, the cast in this is insane, and uh, there were so many characters that I loved. Um, one character in specific that I really did enjoy was Duncan, um, uh, Jason Momoa's character. Duncan Idaho. Duncan Idaho, which is such a weird name. Just a great name. It is such like a that man is from Kansas. He's uh, not yeah. even from Idaho. He's from Kansas or something, or like the most midwestern United States name, Duncan Idaho. Uh, but he plays such a cool character in this. Um, he he kind of plays like a essentially like a military personnel uh, within the ranks of House Atreides, um, and he does such a good job at kind of being this older brother figure to Paul, but also this badass warrior. Uh, and so I really did enjoy him. Um, and I mean, there's also other amazing performances. Oscar Isaac out here killing it. He's being really a, good. Being a Hold up, wait a minute. Is that a supportive father? We stand a supportive dad. A uh, sci-fi movie? Yeah. About uh, power and all this stuff? He literally, he says, uh, it doesn't matter what you end up being, you were, you're my son and that's all that matters. And I looked at you and I was like, what? I know, you're so used to the cliche and fantasy of like, you know, you need to rule this empire long after I'm gone. And his dad's just like, Hey, I mean, if you're up for it, sure. But if not, yeah. you're still my son, and you're still pretty cool. That's like That blew me away. I'm not going to lie. It's such a tiny little thing, but I thought I was like, what? A supportive father? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it's just little things like that that subvert the things we're so used to in, in genres like this, right? Yeah, exactly. I feel like we only ever see that dad who's like rugged and pushing his son so far. And like that's a good storytelling device. It can be used well. But it's just nice to see. A dad who is a good leader, and he's just like, I mean, if you want to, sure. Yeah. You know? Uh, Oscar Isaac is really good in this. Yeah, he kills uh, he, it. He's good in everything, but yeah. really good. 
Um, but I do want to agree with you. I feel like Jason Momoa mm-hmm. is like incredible here. And like, that's such a weird thing with a cast full of like great character actors like this mm-hmm. to pick Jason Momoa out of all them. But he's, he's just really likable. Yeah. He has such a movie star charisma in, in this movie. And he's barely even in it as well. Like he's I know. not even in it that much, but he, he just, he had me right at the beginning. Yeah. So I was hooked. Um, yeah, the the cast is insane. Um, they all do an amazing job. Uh, but we can get a bit into the plot of this as well. I just realized we didn't even didn't even talk it. I have it written down right here. I also have it written down, but you go for it. Okay. <laughs> so the the rough plot for Dune is Paul Atreides, a brilliant and gifted young man born into a great destiny beyond his understanding, must travel to the most dangerous planet in the universe to ensure the future of his family and his people. As malevolent forces explode into conflict over the planet's exclusive supply of the most precious resource in existence, only those who can conquer their own fear will survive. Ooh. Wow. Well, it's a good description. Sums yeah, it's it a really good description. Yeah. Um, Paul is part of House Atreides. They are under the Imperial rule, who is essentially like, hey, go to this planet, Arrakis, because it is full of this thing called spice, the most important material to space travel, the thing that makes space travel work. Why does it make space travel work? I don't know. Do I care? Don't know. Not at all. And don't need to know. No. I love that. I love when movies essentially say, this is this. And I'm like, okay. And that's yeah. all. I don't need an explanation. Like, I get it. Movies love to over-explain things these days. Yeah. And Dune does not really do that. It no, th- it, it doesn't. throws you into the world. It's like, here's what you need. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. You can figure the rest out yourself. Which is honestly something I really do love about movies and about this movie in specific because um, with a character like Paul, um, he is obviously trying to or has the pressures of society to become the next leader of House Atreides. Um, So he's got all this pressure on his shoulders and there are some things about the world that he probably just doesn't know a whole ton about. He just is like... Yes, spice is the most important thing to space travel, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And that's all we need to know, and that's all he needs to know. Yeah. Um. So I do, I do really like it when movies do that, where they're like, "Hey, this is this, and it's this because it is," and we're just like, "Okay, yeah, no, that's it makes sense." Yeah. Um. So I, I, I did really like that. Uh. But yeah, spice is the most important thing, and they're going to the planet Arrakis to get it. Um. Super interesting. Uh like political power plays happening within this movie uh that honestly a lot of them kind of go over my head Uh, me too that stuff always goes over my head it's like the one thing i never understand when i'm watching movies like this it's it's the politics that really get me in real life and in movies i don't i don't really understand it yeah um even though i say i do uh (laughs) but yeah we there's a lot of uh super interesting um motives for a lot of these characters that just involve like power or even just like political stances, things like that. Um, we've got the opposing force of the Har- is it House Harkin? Harkonnen. Harkonnen. Um, that is was originally uh, the ones who were dominating Planet Arrakis, taking all their spice. But they decided to dip their own hands into the profits of the Imperial, whatever the heck, and so they got sent away from there. Um, but that was their profit and that was their place and so they plan on taking it back um so that's where a lot of the a lot of the conflict and struggle of this movie comes from uh mainly for a lot of the other characters um paul's got his own problems but yeah he's having all these weird dreams about Mm -hmm. about zendaya but yeah that's kind of like a big overarching problem of the world building that we've got going on here um which is it's super interesting. I, I really do like uh, the fact that it's very political in this first movie, that it is very much like these are plays, these are things that are happening um, solely for the benefit of whether it is the Imperial people or the people of uh, uh, Iraq. Why can't I? Arrakis. Arrakis. I literally yes. just said it. I don't know why I can't. Dude, Dune's got a lot of big words and weird Bro, fantasy things. Bro, it's got like things. Arrakis, House Atreides, the Harkonnens. The Fremens. Then it's Duncan Idaho. Yeah, it just fuck? like breaks it right there. Yeah, welcome to planet Zebulon. Here is our bravest fighter, Paul. Like what? <laughs> yeah. Okay. The names here are like Duke Leto. Yeah, I don't know. Just very regular people. <laughs> very, <laughs> very odd. Um, but yeah, it, this this plot is very interesting, and 
I think I think it'll unfold way more once we get to the second movie. Um, but all this setup for the first movie was definitely necessary, I think. Right, and I'm glad because what happened in the '80s, they tried to make a movie for Dune. Yeah, uh, it was directed by David Lynch, who is a very great director, mm-hmm. and it's a bad movie. It's just not good. Don't they try to cram the entire book into one movie? Everything. Yeah, the whole Dune story, everything. And the issue is it's got all these exposition dumps, but it's a two-hour movie. So it has to handle the whole story while still having a bunch of exposition and trying to keep the big iconic moments intact. Yeah. What I what I love about this version of Dune is it's not afraid to not do anything in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Not to say it's a boring movie. Um, I feel like there's still some really great action and some really great spectacle here. But this movie is not afraid to be like, here's 45 minutes of politics yeah. in space. Mm-hmm. And it lets you really stew in all that before it gets into any of the action. Yeah. And I feel like that's just a bold move when you're trying to launch a franchise and this movie costs $200 million for Denis to just be like, no, no, we're going to get to the big explosive action stuff that the big you know, Hollywood fans yeah. came here for. Mm-hmm. He's like, but we're going to spend some time in this world. And we're going to get familiar with this world. Nobody's going to go into Dune 2 being like, I don't get it. Unless they didn't watch Dune Unless one. they didn't watch it, right? Mm-hmm. So I just feel like that's a, a bold a bold move that I think is definitely going to pay off when we get to Dune 2. Yeah, I fully agree. And I think, too, like the there's a really good balance between um, the long, hearty exposition and the somewhat... In my opinion, small but very intense action scenes. Yes, they are smaller. Yes. Yeah, I think the I think um, the really good thing about the pacing of this movie is instead of it being like one big build up to one big massive fight at the end, the the action and the fighting is dispersed throughout to kind of give you a break from all these big expositiony things. Like um, my favorite example being, and this is full on spoilers, um, the moment when uh paul his mother and duncan idaho make it to that little small colony um where they're making their way towards uh a town of um the people of arrakis uh and they get into this little colony place where duncan idaho's got some friends that are helping them uh get through it all and we get big big exposition dump learning more about what um Paul's uh, ideals and hopes for the rest of the future of his family is. Um, and then we have this super intense, really small action fighting scene where sadly Duncan Idaho dies, but it's super cool. Like, long live the guy. Long live the guy. And he goes out in a fucking blades of glory, like fighting to his last breath. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like it's very interesting because it's big exposition, then this quick little fight scene, then running away into a insane flight chase sequence where they go into a, a sand tornado, and then switches into a survivalistic, um, like struggle out in the wilds and sands of Arrakis, mm-hmm. like the flip flopping of exposition to fighting to slowing down. It's done so well where you don't feel like you have been sitting there for half an hour just listening to exposition. Right. It keeps it moving. Yeah, it, the pacing is really well done. So I, that is one thing I do really praise this movie for because it has so much to talk about. Yeah, and it's a long movie that doesn't feel overbloated ever. Yeah. Like I feel like each scene, even if it goes on too long or even if I'm not fully engaged in it, like it didn't feel wasted. Yeah. So um, I, it, that is, I definitely praise it for that. One thing I wanted to ask you about was the character of Paul mm-hmm. and the performance by Timothy Chalamet. What do you think of, of Paul as a lead character? I like Timothy Chalamet. Uh, I think he does a good job in a lot of things he does. Um, Paul is a bit bland. Yeah, he's kind me. of a nothing character. He's kind of a nothing character. Uh, and I think that's partially because the story is essentially playing him up to have a lot of potential but not know where he's going. Right. So I think having him as a blame character, blame, uh, blame, blame, bland, bleh, words, uh, bland character is, uh, is, it's fine because they're building up to what he will be. Right. Um, but there are definitely moments where I look at it and, at him and I'm like, you're the future of House Atreides. I know. I'm like, serious? I'm, I'm sitting here trying to think of one personality trait for this guy. And I'm like, uh, dark and brooding. Yeah. He's, and that's he's about it. cold and calculated. He, he only likes Duncan Idaho and his dad. Yeah. And Gurney. 
Yeah, exactly. So it's it's I don't know. His his character is a little bland. Um, that being said, he is an interesting character solely because I think for me the thing that interests me the most is what he has learned as a character, like how he was raised. He was raised to essentially be the next leader of House Atreides, and he's got all this fighting skills, and he's got a lot of knowledge about a lot of stuff. Like you can see him studying through archives and things like that. Um, and he has a good head on his shoulders. He's just he it, like like I said, he's just a ball of potential. Yeah. Um, that doesn't really have any defining characteristics just yet, but I think that will change once the second movie comes around. That's how I feel about him too. Is I feel like he's kind of the, you know, the, the guy who is just destined for something great, and he has like no personality. Mm-hmm. I think the thing about this character is we are gonna see his personality develop. We are gonna yeah. see him become the character that he is meant to be in mm-hmm. the the future. You know, um, I was listening to another podcast, and they were it's called the Ringerverse, and they were talking about how. A lot of the time when you meet these characters, they're always boring in the first movie. Luke Skywalker, kind of boring in yeah. a new boat. Uh, Frodo, kind of boring when you first meet him in the first Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. All these characters develop as they go on and as the movies... Yeah. The movies don't focus primarily on developing their character until the second or third movie because the first movie is all about the world and mm-hmm. the the journey that's been thrust upon them. So I think we're going to see Paul Atreides become someone with more you know, pin, like traits that you can pinpoint... Yeah, but right now he's kind of just a dude. And yeah, he's he's just kind of a dude with a bunch of potential. Like he's mm-hmm. he could be leader of House Atreides. He could be the one or whatever it is with all this weird deep speech. Oh man, that was a voice. That or whatever. took me out. That was weird. Weird spiritual, all this stuff um, that I don't even think we're gonna get into because I can't even expo- begin to explain it. It's just like a mind control sort of thing. There's yeah. this weird voice that they essentially, can use. from what I understand. They there's a certain group of people, and Paul is one of the people who has been taught this secretly by his mother, who is is one of these people, who can essentially match the this make like find this tone in their voice, uh, and it essentially mind controls people. Don't That's know how. Pretty much it. Yeah. But, um, which is a super interesting potential thing for his character. Uh, so there's a lot of potential there, not a whole lot of character, but he did still make, I did like him as a character, and I did, I do like him as the front runner because I'm starting to see the changes to him. Like, I wonder what's going to change for him now and that he has killed his first person. Yes. Like, what does the death of Duncan Idaho mean for the rest of his life? Um, how is he going to make this up to House Atreides? There's so much, so much. And the death so, of his father, too. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting things that I think they can now do with Paul. Mm-hmm. And they have all this. They have so many different ways to go. Yes. So. And I think Timothy Chalamet is good. He he makes this character someone you want to go on this journey with, even when you know nothing about him. Yeah. Like, he's not. it's not some crazy performance. He's not doing a lot. Mm-hmm. But what he is doing is pretty effective in regards to the fact that I don't know this man, but I was on I was on board with his journey. And I was like, okay, let's yeah. do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like he, he pulls off that pretty well. Yeah, uh, Rebecca Ferguson. I don't want to talk about her too heavily, mm-hmm. but I was shocked to see how much screen time she had in this movie. She's pretty much the co-lead. Yeah, really. And I thought she was kind of just going to be a supporting character, like just some background character, but she's really, really in this. Yeah, no, she is. She's there for a lot of it, and she does a really good job. I really do like her character. The way that she plays, uh, she plays Paul's mother is very cool in the sense of like. She's her. She's the connection for him to this kind of more spiritual speech weird thing, and so she has her. She she's a very cautious person, but at the same time she knows when to strike. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she really does make for an interesting co lead, especially for the fact that it is all that Paul really has left of his family at this point. It's yeah, his, it's his mom. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll be very interested to see where that goes. Yeah, I'm excited to see that dynamic continue to grow and. In the sequel, which kind of leads me to my my next question, mm-hmm. do you feel that this movie stands on its own as as a as a cohesive one movie? Do you feel like Dune is a is a good movie? If Dune two did not come out, if it was not, it, they were like Dune is a flop. We're not making Dune two. The first Dune movie would be a piece of trash. It'd be useless. Useless because it nothing really happens. I mean, yes, there is setup. Yes, there is. Uh, a lot of big uh, plot points that do happen, but there's no ending. 
it is f- solely a cliffhanger for the second movie. Right. And so there's no cohesive ending for Paul. Um, it's just like, and where will Paul go next? Essentially the ending. And so do I think it's a standalone movie and could stand on its own? Not at all. Not at I all. think it needs the second one. And with most trilogies, you know, if you watch New Hope, that movie stands on its own. Yeah. If you watch the first Lord of the Rings, that movie stands on its own. Mm-hmm. I don't think that Dune has that same quality to it at all. No. I really feel like if we did not get the confirmation we're getting Dune 2, like, I don't even know how I would form thoughts on this movie. Like, I was talking to uh, Joe from Age Narrative about it, and I was like, I don't even know how I can rate this movie. Mm-hmm. Because it's not a full story. Yeah. Dune ends as the main plot line begins mm-hmm. as as we go off on our main adventure as he finally meets up with uh zendaya's character chani and as he's killed his first person and he's ready to begin his adventure with the fremens the credits fucking roll yeah so like i feel like yeah without a second dune movie this movie would be pretty useless not because it's a bad movie but because it's it doesn't fulfill anything in fact no, it just it, ra- it raises questions and it builds up what the second movie is going to be but if we never got that Oof. Yeah, no. Not good. Yeah, no, there'd be nothing. So I'm very glad that the second one is coming out because the first one definitely does not stand on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, there are a lot of cool things in the first one. Uh, one thing I do want to touch on quickly um, is just the color grading and the choices of color for this movie. It's a very bland movie. It's very a lot of blacks, a lot of browns. Very a lot diluted. Of just, yeah, very diluted movie. And I think there's a lot of meaning and purpose in that. Uh, this seems like a very uh, bland and boring future, essentially. And we're in a lot of military stuff. But one thing I do want to talk about is the difference of the uh, House of Atreides and the people of Arrakis. And just, just solely through their color, what we can tell. So we've got the Imperial people in the House of Atreides. Uh, got a lot of blacks, a lot of grays, a lot of dark colors like that. Um, I think it, I think what that just the color shows is the difference between the more military futuristic bland uh, people of House Trades and also the Imperial and how they're just like they're military they are power hungry there are these political people and that's about it compared to uh, the Fremens of uh, Arachnus Arachnus Arach. Arrakis. Arrakis. Why can I not say that word? <laughs> it's the um, spiders, the, Ara- the arachnoids. Um, the, they have more, yes, their colors are also very bland and muted. It's a lot of browns and tans and all that stuff to match the uh, match the sands. Um, but it shows the more earthly connection that they have with things like the sandworm and the sand general and just the world that they're living in, how they... they are totally fine with people coming there to take the spice but they're like we do not want you to mess with us at all like we have our own thing going on do not try and come find us yeah take all the spice you need but just stay out of our fucking way sort yeah, of thing exactly uh and so i think it's a super just very subtle color difference but i think it's so interesting how just solely the color can show us that and also too just like the the journey of Paul, essentially him going from these classic blacks of House Atreides, these more sleek, form-fitting outfits, things like that, to by the end of the movie, he is in full Fremen gear. Um, and he, like his transition from House of Atreides to now going to the Fremen's world and seeing how they live and, and experiencing their life and his weird connection with them somehow. Uh, so I think just solely through color, it's very interesting how that story gets told. And also, Duncan is a great um, example of that because whenever we see Duncan Idaho, he is in also in Fremen gear for most of the time, uh, showing his connection to the Fremens, how he is sent there earlier to the planet to kind of uh, talk to them first and make that, that first connection with them, um, and how he is so accustomed to their ways. Uh, right off the bat from the top of the movie uh, it's just shown through the fact that he is constantly wearing these sandy colors and the the browns of his the tones of his clothes so I, I really do credit it for the even though the color is very diluted in this movie really awesome uh, way that they did that and also I do want to also mention it, it, do you remember when we were watching this movie in IMAX how there'd be moments where it'd be really dark 
and then it would just switch to ultra bright and i don't Blinding. know what you yeah it would blinded me my eyeballs are burning i was like squinting in the movie theater i was like oh my god this is so bright i mean like that's how it goes with movie theaters is you'll get blinded by a shot every once in a while but yeah. this particular shot there was one where it was like really really dark and it switched to like super white literally just light. white light and i was like Ugh. shut my eyes off they like closed and they like would not allow themselves yeah. to open it was brutal uh that's an interesting observation about the color though it's mm-hmm. i love little subtle stuff like that yeah exactly and also i really do like the fact that it's super there's like no color in this movie and the bright blue of the eyes of the people of the fremens essentially like I think that's so cool that just little tiny detail mm-hmm. uh but i i really do like that pop of color yeah, the the blue eyes are like they're like neon blue. Yeah, they're such a bright, vibrant like sky blue or uh, iridescent blue. Like, ah, it's so cool. It looks really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk really quick about the villains and the, and the sandworm. Oh yeah, villains and the sandworm. All right. Uh, yes, definitely the villains. Uh, honestly, kind of lacking in this. Um, clearly they're going to be a bigger threat as we go on. Very weird how um the main baddie who's played by Stellan Skarsgård yeah um how he's like in goop all the time and he's a big goopy man big goopy dude he has like the bath and like the black goo and also like the fact that when he stands up he's like hovering seven feet above the ground Mm -hmm. or whatever um just very weird uh but also super creepy which I think is what they're exactly what they're going for um, so I really do think that there's going to be way more for them to do in part two. Yeah, he'll they're be much of, more of a threat. Yeah, they're kind of just there setting them up as the the real main villain that they're going to have to be dealing with in part two. Um, but yeah, I mean, kind of cool. I, I do like the uh, weird creepiness of it all. Yeah, I feel like the movie ended and I was like, I felt like I had zoned out, but I didn't, you know, like yeah. I, I was like, did I miss something with the villains? Like they weren't really there that frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, Stellan Skarsgård is having a ball in a giant, creepy, yeah. weird fat suit. And he's, he's a, he's a disturbing villain. I, I know that this dude is going to be much more of a threat in the second movie. Also the fact that he, this is so, uh, this will creep me out so bad. The fact that when he gets killed by that killed quotation marks um by that poison tooth that uh, oscar isaac's character bites down on Mm -hmm. the fact that they're cleaning out all the dead bodies and they look up and he's like floating on the ceiling like a helium balloon that is no longer attached to the ground (laughs) it was so funny to me like it was so creepy but at the same time i was like what the fuck he doing up there yeah somebody get a big stick get him down just pull him down yeah it's so weird very weird but He's, he's like simultaneously very goofy and like very threatening yeah i'm i'm excited to see what uh, Stellan Skarsgård does with that character in the second movie mm-hmm. and the sandworms yeah big sandworms big sandworms I'm a simple man to please you give me a giant sandworm so cool I'm in and like the when Paul looks right into the face of the sa- or the mouth of the sandworm like such a cool shot and it's like it's got all these thousands of teeth kind of just moving and like mm-hmm. it's doing like this little hissing thing it's cool yeah it's so cool and the fact that the Fremens ride on the backs of them I know so cool nuts I, like why can't I get to, get to work that way yeah that's like that's like my dreams as a kid uh like wanting to ride uh you know how you know how in Free Willy, this is so weird. Okay. You know how in Free Willy, when Willy jumps over the dam yes. and is finally free or yeah. whatever it is, I always, like, as a child, I would always picture myself, like, I'd love to one day have, like, two dolphins or, like, a the killer whale, and I'm just riding on the back of it. Yeah. Like, that'd be so cool. Um, or, like, when when I was a kid and would watch things like... Uh, uh, fuck what's it called the one with the weird dragon that grants wishes the kids riding on the back of it oh, um, i know what you're talking about yeah you know what i'm talking about um it like stuff like that like as a kid or like riding on the back of backs of dragons and stuff like yes. that totally reminded me of that so i thought it was just such a cool addition at the very end like him being like how do they get around so easily and then it's just like somebody's fucking riding on the back of a hop, sandworm hop on just like latched on like oh, so Sick. cool yeah Oh man, but what happens when it goes under? And oh, all of a sudden you're, you're just fucked. like <laughs> you're fucked. Your Literally, lungs are sand. It goes under, and it's like when you uh, are on like a wakeboard on the back of a boat, and you let go, and you just start slowing down. It's like 
And you just start sinking in. That's how I think it goes. When the sandworm goes back under and it's just all the sand collapsing into that giant hole. Yeah. That's what I thought quicksand was going to be like when I was a kid. I it was, is. I really thought quicksand was going to be a bigger problem in my life than it was. It's such a cool representation, too, of like quicksand or like even the moments where just visually the sandworms coming through like the dunes of sand and just dunes <laughs> coming through the sand just watching all the sand move over top of it such so cool visually i really did like that so sandworms super cool can't wait to see more of that the scale of them i feel like is the most effective thing too seeing mm-hmm. the sandworm on an imax screen it felt like i was standing in front of one yeah literally. i was like genuinely menaced i was like holy shit don't move and then i was like oh wait mm-hmm. in a movie theater right it's now. a screen yeah um, but just to make something that large and the shots of seeing Paul in front of it and seeing how tiny he is compared to that yeah. sandworm, I feel like it's just really cool. I don't know. Had to bring up the sandworms. They're I, dope. I'm also really interested to see like how much it is like closely related to – because clearly the Fremen's pro- honestly like worship these things. Yes. Yeah, um, there's references of that. Yeah, so there's a very spiritual connection with the Fremen's to the sandworms. So I'm interested to see how that – connection continues to grow and with that one scene we see of the sandworm stopping to timothy chalamet that has got to have some kind of uh importance to it like how a lot of the fremens are saying like do you know all this stuff like they there's this weird feeling that he has been to this planet before that he has a deeper connection and so i'm interested to see where that continues to go mm-hmm. yeah i agree mm-hmm. I, I also love the little sandworm walk that they have to do yeah the, the little the shuffling. shuffle weird thing they do it's yeah. very cool it's very, it's very interesting because um, it totally makes sense having, uh, making erratic movements because since the sandworms are attracted to the vibrations in the sand, erratic movements just being like sandworms would associate that with like rocks falling or, or wind. wind, things like that. So it's it's a very smart technique that they've put into this that totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, I just want to really quickly, before we close off, mm-hmm. I want to get your expectations for Doom Part 2 or any... any um, Things that you want to see in Dune Part 2 or, or hopes that you have for Dune Part 2. The only real hope I have for Dune Part 2 is the, just that since we've done all the exposition, we now get into it. Like, we really get into it in Part 2. Like, right off the bat, I just want to be in it. Mm-hmm. Like, I really just hope everything picks up really quick. Like, we get less into the the exposition and the potential of Paul and now into, okay, what is Paul going to do with all of this? Let's realize this potential. Yes, exactly. That's what I want. So that's, that's all the only, the really thing, the really the only thing I'm hoping, hoping for. Uh, so we'll see what happens. And I, I'm also super interested to see what the cast is going to look like. Yeah. I mean, like they've had so many huge names for this first one and so many of them are dead. They killed half of them. Yeah. More than half. Yeah. Like, so many of them are gone. So I'm, I'm just so interested to see, uh, who they'll have next. I'm just wondering if, like, you know, um, we're going to just spend time with the characters that we have left or if they're going to introduce new characters and, and set up new people in the story. They must. There must be new characters coming, so we'll mm-hmm. see. I'm excited, man. I mm-hmm. That's pretty much all I want from it, too, is a faster pace. I'm okay with the low more world, world building, but not a lot. I want yeah. I want this movie to get straight into it. I want to see um, Paul kind of realize his, his destiny and all that. I want it to pick right up really quick. Yeah. But... I uh, any closing thoughts on Dune? Anything you want to say? Honestly, it's an amazing ride. Uh, it is very exposition heavy, like we've said. But if you have not seen it in the theaters yet, or if you have not seen it at all, definitely go check it out. Um, it's worth seeing in the theaters. Uh, yeah, overall, really fun movie. Um, I did enjoy it a lot, and it it kept me entertained the entire time. And I think if I had to rate part one, and this rating will probably change when part two comes out. I'd probably give it, like, a four. That's where I'm at, too. Like, it's a it's a good movie. It's just its biggest downside is it needs a part two. And once part two comes out, I'm that rating may go up. Who knows? They could easily become fives. Once I've seen yeah. where this story's headed and what, it's, what it was building up to, I could easily love both movies even more than I liked this first one. Exactly. Um, but I'm with you. Currently, where I'm at with it is just, I'm a four. Uh, just because I f- haven't seen the whole story. How do I rate a story that I hasn't finished yet? Exactly. Um, but just so you know, if you haven't seen Dune in theaters yet, uh, this is the best way to see it. Mm-hmm. You're running out of time. But it was just announced that Dune is returning to IMAX theaters on December 3rd. 
for a week or a week or, or two. Oh, wow. Before Spider-Man takes over IMAX. Yes. Um, so if you haven't, you can now go see Dune in the best way to see it. You can hear Hans Zimmer's score rumbling through your whole body. Mm-hmm. You can you can stand face-to-face with a sandworm, as, as we did. I would go check it out in IMAX if you can, but just a regular movie theater screen is just as good. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I think that's everything we have to say for Dune. Uh, thank you so much for uh, checking out this episode. If you want to check out our other episodes, they're all on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you listen to your episodes. Uh, you can also check us out on Instagram at the Dive In Movie Cast, where we post a bunch of movie news, stuff like that. Um, and you can also find our individual Instagrams. I'm at Wesley Giffen. I am at Hayden Kutrich, and it is the same name on our Letterboxed. So once again, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Until next time, fear is the mind killer. Ooh.